Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And God did see what Onan did. And something very, very, you know, secret, intimate, whatever you want to call it, is exposed for us to be reading about it right now. He thought he had it all sewed up. He thought he had a secret sin, but there are no such things as secret sins, because God sees them all, and God saw Onan's sin. So when it says here that Onan spilt it on the ground, it's a very interesting word. It's not the word spilt. Well, I guess you could call it spilt, but really, it's in the Hebrew, it's a very important word made up of three letters like they all are, shakat. Shakat is related to the word shoket, shoket, which is what my grandfather was. He was, you know... (laughs) It was the person who slaughters the animals, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah. Ceremonial slaughter, okay. But shakat means to destroy. That's what it means, to destroy. Just like, you know, my grandfather killed all those chickens. Those chickens' lives were destroyed by this quick action of the knife, you know, that means to destroy. Dorothy Greenstein, she, her father was also a shakat, and she talked about the little box they had in Poland with the very sharp knives, you know, that, Quick action, destruction. So the word that's used, that's translated spilt, it means destroyed. Onan destroyed his seed on the ground. It's interesting. It's interesting. Why? Because this is a sexual sin, clearly. And the Hebrew word that's used in the context of describing the sexual sin is to destroy. Destruction is a really good word to be associated with sexual sins. Why? Because sexual sins destroy. They destroy by self-pollution. They destroy a person's purity, a person's innocence. The sexual sins destroyed Onan's ability to generate, make more children. And many of the sexually transmitted diseases, the so-called STD of today, they result in sterilization of the person that they can't have children. Sexual sins destroy a person from within because they damage, they destroy the image of God, which is pure and holy. Sexual sins destroy a person's dignity by destroying him or bringing him down to the level of animals. Sexual sins destroy a person by desecrating his or her body as the temples of God. It was all in the context of sexual sins that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.15, 1 Corinthians 6.15. Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one flesh? For two saith he shall be one flesh. 
But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's self-destruction. What? Know you not the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Sexual sins destroy a person. And maybe the worst destruction of all the sexual sin, they destroy a person's sensitivity to God. How do you know that? Because of Lamentations 351. Lamentations 351. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. What is being said there is when his eye was lusting after the daughters of the city, his heart was affected. That's the serious part. In other words, he has no more interest in God. Now, this is what it says in Hosea 4.12. Hosea 4.12. The spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. You know, so many are caught. What's the spirit of whoredoms? What's another word for it? Pornography. That's the spirit of whoredoms. Pornography. And it causes a person to err or go away from God. Hosea 5.4, Hosea 5.4. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. The spirit of whoredoms, the spirit of pornography, causes a person to not frame his doings, to not turn to God, causes them to say, it's no sin. I'm not going to confess as sin to God, nor so I can turn to God. Hosea 4.11, Hosea 4.11. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. It just There it goes. Pornography, you just say goodbye to the heart. No interest in God. These are the reasons why shakat, destruction, is a perfect description to be associated with sexual sin here. So Odin thinks, okay, well, what he's done in nighttime is not seen by God, but, but it was. And so the response to God in verse 10, the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Again, just like Ur, what Onan did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew verse literally reads, it says displeased, but in the Hebrew, it says it was bad, ra'ah, evil, in ayin, in God's eye. It was bad in God's eye. So again, it's emphasizing this fact that God's watching. We would have thought, that after Onan saw that Ur was killed by God because he was wicked on the side of the Lord, that maybe that would cause Onan to fear a little bit, might have feared, dis- but no, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Why? First Timothy 4.2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness. See, it's interesting that for most people, when they hear the word sin, you know what first comes to their mind? Sexual sins. Sexual sins. It's because the devil, the devil here, he works so much in this area to get people's heart hardened toward God. And we see that this judgment that God has of sexual sins in Romans 127, Romans 127, where God says, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the, that recompense of their heir, which was meat. And again, just like God judged Ur in verse 7, 
He judges Onan, wherefore he slew him also. He slew him also. You know, what's amazing here is how Judah, at this point, doesn't break down and say, I've been a rebel against God. I want to be a follower of God. But he, he he doesn't really do that. So that's that. Okay. Now Judah then, he rises up, takes control, and orders Tamar, you remain a widow and go back to your father's house. That was the custom in those days. So Judah sends her home to her father's house and really binds her to not marry again, but because he makes this promise to her in verse 11. Judah said to Tabar's daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till she live my son be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah promises Tamar. Soon as he grows up, Shelah, I'm going to give you to him. You'll be married. Now, really to see the situation properly, we have to look at it from two individuals' point of views. We've got to look at this from Tamar's point of view, and then we've got to look at this from Judah's point of view. I mean, Sheila, he's too young to care. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So first of all, how does Tamar see this situation? Well, in the first place, she was taken by Judah and given to his son, her husband, Ur, okay? And then she saw that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed her husband, okay? Now, she's again taken by Judah and given to her brother-in-law, Onan, okay? Again, she sees Onan did something wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed Onan. Now, Tamar is taken by Judah and commanded, go home to your father and wait until your young brother-in-law, Sheila, grows up, and then she's promised that you're going to become his wife. Okay. So from Tamar's point of view, she's young. She's taken into a family of three brothers, and she sees that two of the brothers die. She gets married to him and die. Reminds me of Mildred. Every husband she married died, you know, <laughs> except for the last one. Okay, the last one, Sheila, he's young. And she's young also, by the way, which also t- shows us as a young woman, she's condemned to widowhood while she waits for this young brother-in-law to grow up. And all she has is this promise that Judah says, look, you know, you're going to, one day I'll give it to him to her. That's not exactly what a young woman dreams of. (laughs) Okay. Now, let's look at the situation from Judah's point of view. Judah moves to Canaan. At first, everything's going his way. He meets a good friend. He sees a beautiful Canaanite. He has three sons with her. He sees God kills the first son. Judah sees God kill the second son. And now he's left with just one son alive. And he's young. And he's trying to figure out, you know, how did my first two sons die? Hmm. Only got one left. He's trying to figure it out. Aaron and Onan both died. What did Aaron and Onan both have in common? <laughs> <laughs> it resulted in their deaths. Now, what did Aaron own and both have in common? Same woman. <laughs> this woman's not good for your health. <laughs> okay. That wasn't really what they both had in common, was it? Well, what does the Bible say they both had in common? They were wicked. 
in the sight of the Lord. God killed them. That's really what they had in common. The wickedness resulted in God's judgment. But does Judas see that? He doesn't see that. Why? Because he's, he himself is also displeasing to the Lord. So Judah accepts that, you know, it maybe, I don't know, he thinks, if he accepts this, if Judah says, well, hmm, they displeased the Lord, they were killed, I displeased the Lord, what's that mean? For, no, 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 can't think, can't go there, can't go there. So he puts God out of the picture altogether. And Judah is very much like the prostitute who is described in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20 describes this woman. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I've done no wickedness. Yeah. See, that wiping of the mouth reminds us of Judah, right? Judah and the rest of the brothers. What were they doing after they threw Joseph in the pit? They were eating, probably wiping their mouth. Said, I didn't do anything wrong. To the screams of Joseph in the pit below previous chapter. Okay, so the last thought that Judah has and wants to have is that God judged his sons for his wickedness. So Judah's sin is really, Judah is very sinful. (laughs) I don't think I'm stepping over the line by saying Judah is sinful. But it's interesting here. Let's just kind of pause for a moment and sort of consider as we're looking at Judah in comparison with Joseph. I mean, in this chapter, We see in verse 2 how Judah, he went looking for sin, and he found it. He found her in verse 2. Judah saw there a Canaanite, and and he took her, went in unto her. So this is this chapter. The next chapter, we're going to see something a little similar, only it's going to be a little reversed. There's going to be a certain Potiphar's wife, and she's going to go out looking for sin. And she found him, and his name was Joseph. And it says that, it's going to say that, see that, in the next chapter, verse 7, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. That's what it says, verse 8. Then, just like Judah took the Canaanite that we read about in verse 2, in the next chapter, 39, verse 12, it's going to say, and she caught him, Potiphar's wife caught Joseph, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So in Judah's case, we see Judah looking for sin. He found her, Canaanite woman. He grabs her. He commits fornication with her. While in contrast, down in Egypt, his brother, Joseph, he's the victim who is seen by Potiphar's wife. She grabs Joseph to commit adultery, but Joseph, he runs for his life. His spiritual life leaves his coat behind and to keep himself pure. This contrast is very important. Why? Because God has put this here for us so that we see the contrast between Judah and Joseph. Why is this so important? Because Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described in the announcement of his birth, before he was born, okay, we're at Christmas time, in Luke one thirty-five, when the angel said to Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Speaking of himself in John 14.30, he said, the prince of this world, that's the devil, the prince of this world cometh 
and hath nothing in me. No beachhead in me. As a high priest, he's described in Hebrews 7.26, Hebrews 7.26, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Pilate, it is judgment in John 18.38, John 18.38. He saith unto them, I find no fault in him. As the suffering servant, he's described in Isaiah 53.9, Isaiah 53.9, done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. As the Lamb of God, 1 Peter 1.19, a lamb without blemish and without spot. As the one taking our sins away, 1 John 3.5, 1 John 3.5, he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. From the point of view, the angle of the thief on the cross, Luke 23.41, this man hath done nothing amiss. From the point of view of the centurion, looking at him, Luke 23.47, certainly this was a righteous man. This is the Lord Jesus, totally sinless. This is Joseph as a type of the Lord Jesus. Joseph is the type of the sinless one. That's why Joseph is so very important in the book of Genesis. Joseph is a type of the sinless Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Judah, who we're reading about here, and it's a little difficult to read, Judah is also very important in the book of Genesis. And he's contrasted with Joseph. Joseph is the pure one who resists sin. Therefore, he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judah is just the opposite. Judah is the sinful one. He goes out looking for sin, and he finds it. That makes Judah a perfect type of Israel, of the Jewish people the Messiah come from, as Isaiah described them in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, Isaiah 1, 2. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. They've rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib. Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it. Wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. They've not been closed, neither bound up, so forth. So the Lord Jesus is the sinless one. He's typified by Joseph. But he came from a sinful people, as typified by Judah. Now, Judah, fortunately, is not going to remain sinful because he is going to actually lead the rest of his brothers to repentance. Coming, coming. And that's also seen in Isaiah's description, Isaiah's prophecy, the first chapter, in verse 18, when Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow, red like crimson, like wool. See, the day's coming for Judah the day's coming for the Jewish people. The restoration's coming. That's a good name, Israel Restoration. We've got to remember that. The restoration's coming of Zechariah 13.1. In that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So these two types of Joseph as the type of the Lord Jesus, as Judah as the type of the people that the Lord Jesus come from, They're very important for us to keep in mind as we go through the book of Genesis. Now, 
from what we can see about Joseph and Judah, if you were God, if you were God, and you had to choose a tribe that the Son of God is going to come into the world through, would you choose Joseph or would you choose Judah? (laughs) It's not a hard question, right? (laughs) Would you choose the upright, honest, morally pure, God-trusting Joseph? Or would you choose the sadistic, selfish, lustful Judah? Which one are you going to choose for the tribe that the Messiah is going to come through? It's obvious. If we were God, we would choose Joseph. That's why God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Now, very important when this choice of this comparison comes into play in Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 67. Moreover, it says... Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph. Chose not tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. Now, when we read that, when we read something like that, and we're in Genesis here, we're going to take the hand of God and say, no, God, not Judah. You mean Joseph, right? You must have heard wrong. You know, we want to say that to God. (laughs) You don't mean Judah. We feel like Jonah did when God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to, to, to preach so they can be saved from their sins. And we feel like Jonah said to God, no, God, not Nineveh. You don't want to save Nineveh. They're too wicked. They're too sinful. I won't be a part of that. And when then God did save Nineveh, Jonah was angry because Jonah could not handle that God wanted to send the message of salvation to the Ninevites. Same thing happened with Ananias. With regard to Saul, Paul, Saul, Acts 9-11, the Lord said unto Ananias, unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Street. Inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. And seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. You have authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. The Lord said to him, go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. That means the apostle of the Gentiles. And kings and children of Israel, I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay? And so Ananias has a problem with that. And he has a problem with God wanting to use Saul like that. And he might have said the same thing, Lord, How about Stephen over here? He's so upright. He's not wicked. He's a good man. He's honest. He's loyal. Don't you think he'd be a better apostle to the Gentiles? Come on, Lord. But God chose Saul. All this leads us to understand why God refused Joseph and chose Judah over Joseph. Why? Because of Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. Where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. That's what God loves to do. Grace magnifies and glorifies the Lord. And when God, in his amazing grace, saves and purifies Judah, that brings great glory to God. (laughs) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page history of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.